Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So awesome. I mean, my goodness, so amazing. I, every project I went to, everywhere I was at, just seeing the number of volunteers and people from our church who were jumping in, serving with their whole heart, and just unleashing compassion up and down the 50 corridor. Friends, last week is probably one of my favorite weeks of the year for our church, and I just wanna say thank you for the ways that you showed up, leaned in, and helped us out. And I I gotta give a special shout out to a few people, uh, one of whom, I mean, she's just my hero, she's all of our heroes in one way or another, Kari Murray, who is our director of outreach. Little bit of planning and preparation went into a week like this, organizing that many volunteers and projects, but she didn't do it alone. Thank you again to all our team, our staff, volunteers, but we had we had a few people, a few volunteers, four in particular that I just wanna mention and say thank you to. Joe Davis, David Harnagel, Peggy Bendondo, and Nancy Conley. Guys. Six months prior to this event, this team of people began meeting with Kari, going out, scouting sites, making sure all the details would be organized, and that right there is just the embodiment of one of our values, what it means to be an owner, not just an attender. Somebody that says, I'm going to jump in, carry some weight, and help pull off something amazing. So... Thank you to those individuals. Thank you to Kari and everybody else that made it possible. And what an awesome week, man. Just incredible. So um, a couple things by way of housekeeping before we jump into uh, the, the series, the new series we're kicking off today. Uh, first, uh, first and foremost, the Georgia Bulldogs did beat Auburn yesterday. Um, So God is good all the time, amen, praise Jesus. And then the second thing, um, just, (laughs) I mentioned this a while back uh, in a sermon, so I've I've had several people ask me like, are you done with that, did you do it yet? Yes, I did finish that insane ultra marathon that I signed up for (laughs) in January. And just, just to be clear, the word ultra marathon, I mean, makes it sound like, was that 100 miles or 50 miles? No, this was the bare minimum of an ultra marathon, okay, 32 miles of 50K. So it's like just past a marathon, um, did not run 50 miles or 100 miles, but felt pretty proud about 32 and glad I finished it and glad it's over, but it's done. So that being said, we are, as I mentioned, jumping into a new series today, a series that um, I'm calling Iconic. And this series is, is really based on the life of Jesus. It's about discovering Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so we're gonna be taking a journey through the Gospel of John to, to learn more, to discover, to encounter this man, Jesus, who he is, what he means for our lives, what he was all about, and some of the central teachings of his life. And you know, the reason I titled it Iconic is because really at the end of the day, Jesus is the most iconic person in human history. He's the most famous person who has ever lived. No one even comes close. 
He's the largest, uh, he's the leader of the largest movement in the history of the world, Christianity, which has literally billions of adherents worldwide. He is truly, and I don't say this in the, the Catholic sense, but just in the cultural sense, he's an icon. But he is also the most misunderstood, misrepresented, and you know, largely disregarded by many in modern culture. One of the most, one of the most disregarded icons today in our culture. And what I want to do over the next several weeks is I want to dive into the real Jesus, the reality of who he is, what he means for us, what he taught, the things that we need to glean and understand from his life. And so we're going to touch on a little small topic for week one. The title for today is Life, Meaning, and the Reason Behind the Reason. <laughs> Life meaning and the reason behind the reason. And if you have a Bible, we're gonna start there. I'm gonna go through these verses on the TV in just a minute, but if you wanna just listen along, um, we're gonna start in John 1, verse one. And here's what the Gospel of John says. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it switches. It personifies the word. Instead of just saying the word was with God and the word was God, it says he. It calls the word he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse nine, which is what we're gonna focus on today. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's amazing, isn't it? The world was made through Jesus. That's who it's talking about, the word of God. This person is Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. He was God. He created the world, everything that we see was made through him, yet the world doesn't know him. It's like an iPhone not knowing who Steve Jobs is. You know, they don't. The iPhones aren't, at least at this point, they don't have, you know, cognizant intelligence. That's debatable now, I think, but we'll find out. Verse 14, the word became flesh. It's an unbelievable statement right there. That's what we celebrate in Christmas, the incarnation, God became a man, the word became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So my son is uh, playing comp soccer right now. And he transitioned last year from football to soccer. And, you know, I know about soccer. I played rec soccer growing up. I didn't play at a very high level, but 
I don't really understand all the depth and strategies that go into high-level soccer. And I remember, you know, the transition from Sawyer playing football to soccer. It was a learning curve for me, and there were some things that drove me insane. And I want to have a little group therapy this morning and just get this off my chest, because probably in the beginning, the thing that drove me the most insane was just backward passing, they just pass the ball backwards all the time. You know, the, the whole point of football is move the ball down the field, throw it down the field, run it down the field. If you're going backwards, you're, try, you're, you're escaping, or hopefully you're escaping the defense who's about to tackle you, but the point is move it down the field. And in soccer, especially the first year that he played where they're all kind of learning the system and the coach is really trying to drill into their minds how the game is played, the strategy behind the game, uh, there's a lot of backward passing. Except our kids didn't really understand the theories or how it all worked and they didn't move in like cohesion. And uh, you know, we as the parents on the sideline also didn't understand how it was supposed to work, and it just looked bad. It was bad. They went one in 13. They lost by an average of 15 to zero every single game. And, and we would go up to coach Glenn. He's a great guy. Love him to death, and the story gets better. I'm not throwing him under the bus right now. Um, he doesn't go to this church anyways. Maybe one day. We'll see. But... We go up to Coach Glenn after the game and we'd be like, Glenn, can you just tell the boys to stop passing it and kicking it backwards? Tell them to kick it down the field and then chase it and then shoot it on the goal. Seems like that's what they should be doing. Don't, backward passing isn't working. He's, like, he's British too and he's just thinking, oh, Americans, you know? They don't get football. And like we do get football, the real football. And he's like, look, this year is gonna be a little rough for the kids, okay? They're gonna lose a lot of games this year because they don't really get it yet. We're like, yeah, we can tell. And, uh, you know, all their backward passes or their attempts at, like, you know, learning the strategy of soccer, they would often be misplaced or get intercepted by the other team who would then just take it and score. And all the other teams in the league, it was just... Kick it, it's like kickball. It's like kick it down the field and whoever has the fastest kids wins because you kick it down there, you beat the other team to it and you score. And uh, we said, Glenn, we need a little more of that, like kick and run soccer. And he said, look, this year's gonna be, it's gonna be bad. Next year's gonna be better, I promise. So we come out for the first game of the, se of the season this year and uh, I'm not kidding. It was unbelievable other team starts with the ball. They drive down the field, um, ended up with a shot on goal. Our goalie saved it. Our guys began to spread out into formation. Our goalie rolls it sideways, and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Every other goalie in the league is punting it as far as they can, and our guy's like rolling it to one of our defenders, and immediately, I'm just thinking, here we go. Two of the other players on the other team just collapse on our guy, and he kicks it back to the goalie. I'm like, oh, this is more of the same, you know? But the goalie's ready for it, and he just crosses it onto the other side to another one of our players who begins moving down the field. Two other midfielders come up against him. He hits it outside wide to another player. 
Three of the other team collapse on that guy. He kicks it back to the first guy, who then punches it through right to one of our guys in the middle, who's wide open. And that guy begins sprinting down the field with the ball, and like three of our other players begin making a run at the same time. And suddenly I'm like, whoa, it's like four on two. That was beautiful. What's happening? And, and literally, one of them kicks it out wide, Sawyer crosses to the middle, wide open past the goalie. A kid on our team named Max just rams it, cranks it to the back of the goal. I mean, as parents, we were so shocked by what we just saw. We just kind of like stood up. We were like, do we even scream and yell? Like, what just happened? I feel like I just witnessed Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in person in soccer form. You know, and you know, Glenn's over there, well done boys, well done. We're like, what was that? And he's like, yeah, it's soccer. That's how soccer is played. They move to the open space, they move in triangles. The reason you kick it backwards is to maintain possession, trap the offense, you know, lure the defense you know, off their footing and then find the open man eventually and make a run on the goal. Guys, we've lost one game this year. We are winning. <laughs> we've lost literally one team. We are winning like by an average of 10 to nothing. And we're playing basically the same kids. It's just our kids finally got it. They understood, oh, this is how it works. This is how soccer works. And so now I love backward passing. <laughs> and I'm like, Glenn, you're an amazing, you're a brilliant coach, incredible coach, Glenn. Don't ever listen to me again. <laughs> but one of the things I thought about was this, just like soccer, there are so many things in life that don't make sense without context. If you don't understand the big idea, the big goal, what, what the coach is trying to accomplish, where they're heading, right? Glenn said, I'm okay with the boys losing every game this season as long as they learn the style of play. Because in the end, they're gonna get better. They're gonna be way better than everybody else, but they're gonna be bad for a little while. And that's okay, but if you get the context, and this is true for every coach, every leader, every business owner, every person who is leading something, there are seasons where you're like, hey, in this season, we gotta take some losses. We're gonna cut some things, we're gonna change some things, we're gonna try some things, and it might not win at first, it may not succeed at first, but in the long run, I think this is gonna be amazing. This is gonna work out better. And with context, you can take some losses for a season. You can pass the ball backwards for a season, understanding you're learning and moving towards something greater. And friends, this is true not just of our lives, of our careers, of our families, of all these different aspects. This is true of the Bible as well. There are so many moments in Scripture that context is everything. In fact, there were three key points that my, that my biblical studies professors would just drill into my mind in seminary. They're like, Jonathan, there's three things that you need to pay attention to when you're interpreting scripture. The first one is context. The second one is context. And the third one is, what's the context, right? <laughs> Context is everything. 
And friends, what John is hitting on today, I, I discovered some amazing context behind what he wrote when he said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He's giving us not just the context of Jesus, who Jesus was, saying he was God. He's not just the son of God, which he was the, uh, the expression on earth as God's son, but he's fully God and fully man, one with the father. But John 1 is also giving us the context for our very lives, the meaning of our lives, the reason behind every reason. Friends, it's giving us the answers to all that we're looking for everything that we're looking for. And so we're gonna unpack this for a few moments together because there's some things here that we have to see, that we have to understand if we're gonna understand the context of what John is trying to say. So the first is this. In the beginning, does that sound familiar to anyone who has, maybe you've been around the Bible a little bit? Genesis 1 right? Almost the exact same words from Genesis 1 are now used in John 1. The Gospels are the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is making a theological statement right here. He's saying, hey, do you remember Genesis 1 where it says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God spoke words, and it happened. He spoke words, and the words came into being when he said light, light appeared. Remember that? Well, let's go back there and let me give you some context for the word. The word that God was speaking, what was happening, because now we actually know what was happening. John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Yeah, we remember from Genesis 1, you know, he spoke those words of course those words were with him. Those words came from God's heart, from God's mind. When you speak words, they originate inside of you. They're with you. They're your words. Okay, that makes sense, John. We get that. But then he goes on to say, the word was God. And I thought about that. I'm like, that's true too. You know, the words that I speak, they represent what's in my heart, in my mind. They're an expression of me. My words are an expression, a verbal expression of me. And what John is saying is, hey, this guy, Jesus, that I'm about to write a biography about, I'm about to tell you his life and teachings from my perspective. We know later it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every word is true. John, John says, this guy, Jesus, he wasn't just there with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning, and it says, through him, through him, all things were made. Without him, he just reiterates it in a negative version, without him, nothing was made that has been made. He wants people to, he wants us to understand what he's saying about Jesus right here. He goes, look, Jesus was the source of all creation. When God was there in the beginning speaking words, he was creating through Jesus. 
Somehow in the mystery of the Trinity, Jesus was there with God, the fullness of God. He's represented as the words, the full expression of God's intent and desire for creation. And he is the means by which God is creating the world. That's what John is saying here. Without Jesus, nothing exists. You're not here. I'm not here. Friends, this is called a biblical worldview. As Christians, we believe we are fully dependent. Our existence is fully dependent on God. We are not autonomous creatures who just exist apart from God. We exist because of God. We exist because of Jesus. Therefore, God's word, God's way is not optional. It's not a recommended you know, reading list. No, the word of God is actually the authority of God over us. Why? Because he made us. We depend on him. Our existence depends on him. That's the order of things in a Christian biblical worldview. We have a very high opinion of our own opinions. We have a very high opinion of our own feelings, of our own desires, of our own thoughts about things. Our culture in general really acts as if each of us are sort of this independent, autonomous authority unto ourselves. That's how we function as a culture. That's what we have said is true as a culture. Your truth is your truth, mine is mine. We are all independent authorities unto ourselves. And the beginning of John, the beginning of the Bible goes, no, you're not. You are fully dependent creatures. You're part of God's creation. Jesus is the, the beginning and the source of your life here on this earth. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. It goes on. In him was life. Your life. The life of God is found in Christ. And that life, says life again, was the light of of all mankind. We're gonna get into this in just a minute. The light of all mankind. Light is how we see. It's the means by which we see. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, this is so loaded. I mean, there, you could preach a series on these five verses if you wanted to. This is so loaded and it's so important because you have to understand the context into which John is writing. You see, there's some historical context going on here that John is writing into an actual time in history. It's relevant for us today, but he is addressing a specific time in history. And just prior to Jesus coming on the scene was this gap of 400 years. And, and the scholars of scripture, Jewish scholars, Christian scholars have referred to this as the 400 silent years. And all of the prophets have died off. God has not, has not chosen and selected or raised up any more prophets. So there's no more prophetic word from God going forth. It seems like all the massive miracles and amazing occurrences from the Old Testament have become more and more rare, and then gradually it all goes silent. 
And about 500 years before Jesus, um, the temple is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Temple destroyed. And so now, even the place of worship for the Jewish people is gone. And so after the temple is destroyed, during these silent years, you see less and less emphasis on priests, the Jewish priests who made the sacrifices in the temple. Stick with me, I promise this is going somewhere, okay? And what you see here is, is the rising of this group called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Pharisees and Sadducees. And their whole purpose was to teach the law. And they started these things called synagogues. They said, we don't have a temple anymore to offer sacrifices for sin. So we are gonna study the law really hard. We're gonna learn all the rules that God gave us. And we're gonna teach the Jewish people how to follow all the rules so we don't even need the temple anymore. We don't even need sacrifices because we aren't gonna break the law. And if we don't break the law, we're good, we're good with God. And so, you know, the way back to God during these 400 silent years that the Jewish people came up with through the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they just said, okay, let's follow the rules of religion. Let's make sure we don't break the rules and God will be, he'll be happy with us. So the synagogues came on the scene, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of this is the backdrop for the New Testament. But there was something else happening in Greek and Roman culture. This blew my mind when I saw this this week. There were three individuals who rose to prominence right around 400 years before Jesus. Right in this gap of, of time before God sent Jesus. These three men, maybe you've heard of them, they went by the name of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. still widely considered the height of human reason and logic, okay? So you have this massive emphasis on rules from the Jewish people, and then all across the world, there is this belief rising up coming from the Socrates, the Platos, the Aristotles, the philosophers, the Stoics. There's this belief rising up that reason will save us, Logic can save us. If we can just figure out the meaning of it all, the truth, the universal truths underneath all of it, then we'll be fine. I mean, you think about what they all taught and really what it comes down to is reason and religion are the best that mankind can do without God. Let's follow the rules and let's figure it all out and we'll be our own saviors. Follow the rules, figure it out. Now, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, we're gonna hit this quick because this is the context into which John is writing. Socrates came up with something called the Socratic method where he said, okay, I'm gonna take the most obvious truths that I can see about the world, and I'm gonna ask questions about those truths until I get down to the bottom of reality so I can understand what is really, really true about life and existence on earth. And if I can figure out what's true, then I'll figure it all out and I'll live a good life. And what he came down with, this, this is amazing to me. 
It's a very simplified version of Socrates' philosophies. But what he came down to as one of the fundamental truths of all reality is he said, everything basically boils down to good and evil. And he goes, therefore, humanity is saved by a pursuit of knowledge because truth and knowledge are the only way that you figure out what is good and what's evil. And so as, as long as you know, hey, in my self-reflection and introspection and discerning of the world, what is right and what is wrong, then I can choose what is right and I won't choose what is wrong. So he believed that truth and knowledge is what would save us from our evil actions because they all recognize this tendency to do evil things inside of us. Plato, he, was, he also was searching for reality. He said, I, I think reality is found through universal truths, things that everyone everywhere believed to be true. So he spent his life trying to discover what are the universal truths on which I can build my life. He wanted to know the big picture, and he thought, if I can just understand the big picture, universal truths under everything, then I'll get enlightened and I'll live a virtuous life. It'll be a good life. Aristotle, he believed understanding leads to meaning and fulfillment. And all these guys are giving us this, this backdrop for what John is writing. And if you think about it, they're looking, they're looking for three things. Enlightenment is a big word. Life is a big word. And all of this comes down, it's all wrapped up in this Greek word, logos. So they're searching for, for three things. This word logos, it means meaning, reason, purpose, uh, discussion in order to find the root of things. They're looking for light, which is truth. I, I need to be able to see the truth, discover the truth. I'm in darkness right now, but reason will lead me to the light. And then we gotta find life because if you don't know the meaning of things, the purpose of things, the reason that you're here, you're not, you're not gonna live life. Your life will be miserable. You'll fill it with a whole bunch of meaning, meaningless things in an attempt to, to fill that vacuum in your soul for meaning and purpose. So we gotta figure out what's the basis for all of this. So they're looking for life. They're looking for how do I get saved from my evil desires and bad tendencies and how do I find happiness, joy, fulfillment? Logos, light, and life. That's what they're looking for. That's what the world is looking for. And then John, the gospel writer says, in the beginning was the word. Do you know what the Greek word for word is in English? Logos. I about fell out of my chair this week, alone in my office. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the meaning, the reason for your existence. And the logos was with God. Not in your own reason, not in your own ability to figure it out. It was with God and the Logos, hello, was God. I mean, imagine how that landed on a Greek culture. What? No, look, John. Look, the gods, we know about the gods. We got a bunch of gods in the Greek culture. They have nothing to do with human reason. 
That's just a fantasy, a figment of human imagination. We're talking about evidence and logic and meaning and reason when we talk about logos. And John goes, nope, the word was God. The logos was God. And then, look at this. He personifies the logos. He goes, he, the logos, the philosophy, the meaning, the reason of life, it's a person. What are you talking about, John? This is We've never heard anything like this. Philosophies are ideas. They're, it's our pathway to discovering the meaning and the truth of life. And John's like, y'all are missing it. It's a person. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. The philosophers were trying to figure out the origin of the cosmos. Where did it all come from? How were things made and created? They're, they're trying to use logic to go all the way backwards. And John's like, look, without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What are they looking for? Logos, meaning, purpose, reason, they're looking for light, truth. How do we understand universal truths of reality? They're looking for life, salvation from evil within us, fulfillment, happiness for our lives. John's like, here it is, right here, and it's a person. His name is Jesus, and I'm gonna write a whole book about him called The Gospel of John. Logos, it's the English word, it's the Greek word for the English word, word. And in that day, there were two primary meanings, reason, logic, meaning, discourse, uh, logic. Lo logos is where we get the word logic from. But the other meaning is word. It was also used um, just to describe words that people speak or write. And word, the word word means, it's just an expression of our inward thoughts and feelings. It's how we take what we think and feel inside of it and us and express it to the world, the writing and speaking. I'm bringing it home with this so the keys can come out. This is so important because there was one massive missing piece with all the philosophies of the world with all the rules of religion. You see, the philosophers, they, as they came to the end of their reasoning and their logic, and they said, man, if we could just help people understand the big picture of life, the reason for life, the universal truths behind all existence, then that will be a story big enough to shape their lives and to help them live well. But what they discovered is, even though people may have understood what was right and wrong, good and evil, maybe they understood some universal truths, there was still a massive tendency inside every human heart to break the rules. How many times have you known what's right and wrong and been like, eh, I'm going with that one? Wrong. How many times have you known what's good and bad and you've chosen what is bad? I'm not the only one in the room, I know that. This is true for all of us. There's this unexplainable tendency inside of us and yes, 
Truth is important. But Jesus came as light from heaven full of grace and truth. They were missing grace, the need for a savior. They didn't understand this fact that, hey, my reason, my philosophy, it won't save me. The Jewish people didn't understand that trying to follow every single word of the law, trying not to break the rules, won't earn your way into heaven. You don't need a philosophy or a list of rules. You need a savior named Jesus. And that's what John is saying. You don't need some ideas or rules. You need a man sent from heaven, fully God and fully man, to die on a cross for your sins and redeem you and make you perfect and righteous and holy through his sacrifice. That's the only way. Moving forward, the true light, verse nine, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, we know you're all looking for the true light, the truth of existence, but the true light which gives life to, light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You're all still in the darkness is what he's saying. Jesus is the only way into the light of truth. And he says this in verse 14, here it is. The word, the logos, the philosophy, this understanding of reality, the basis of life and all creation. God himself, the word, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. And we've seen him, we've seen his glory. We saw the way he healed the sick. We saw the way he cared for the poor. We saw the way that he loved his enemies. We saw the way that he laid down his life for us. We don't follow or believe in some empty list of rules or ideas out there in the cosmos in order to try and live better lives. No, the logos, the reason, the philosophy, our basis for all of life and existence, we saw him. His name was Jesus. He lived and walked with us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, truth is big, it's important. Look for that. But don't look beyond Jesus because you might find at the bottom, yes, there is good and evil, but you can't fix the evil problem. You can't fix the sin and death problem. But the logos, the philosophy, the reason that we believe in, he can, and he did. This past week, got to serve um, Powerhouse Ministries. This is Tom, one of the directors there. And his hat's a little small, but it says, light up the dark shirt says light up the dark as well. And I thought about this because Powerhouse Ministries was started to serve women and children whose husbands and fathers were incarcerated in Folsom Prison because those women and children had to relocate to Folsom, California from wherever they were. Many of them ended up addicted, homeless, stuck on drugs, on the streets, and Nancy Ashley, 
had a dream, had a vision from God and said, I, I wanna create a ministry for these women and children whose husbands or significant others or fathers are in Folsom prison. And she began to get to know them. She entered into their world. She began to find solutions. She began to build shelters for them. She began to provide them with counseling and therapy and food. And God continued to bring provision and volunteers and supporters and helpers to partner with her in the mission. And I thought, you know, uh, for all the philosophers in the world, for all the good ideas and trying to figure it all out, what we don't need is a flashlight, you know, pointing towards the darkness over there saying, yep, it's pretty dark over there. I'm sort of figured out the light over here. Here it is. No, what we need is a God who stepped into the darkness fully, a Logos who became flesh, lived among us in order to redeem us, to save us. He became the light that we needed to see the truth. And friends, that's what this is about. That's what Nancy understood. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means for all of us to say, we are here as salt and light. We're here as a witness to the one true reality of Jesus Christ, the God who loved us enough to step into our world and die for us. We don't need big lofty ideas or a list of rules. We need a savior. And Jesus is not just a philosophy. He is not just a, a good moral teacher that we should follow all his teachings because he's a good moral teacher. No, he's our savior. He is life itself. And without him, without faith in him, belief that he died on a cross and rose for your sins, you are still dead spiritually. And so friends, we're about to take communion together. We're about to dive deeper into the gospel of John over the next several months. And I, I pray that you would join us on this journey. But as we close, I wanna give an offer to anyone in this room who maybe feels like, gosh, I, I thought following Jesus was just obeying a list of rules. I thought I could just figure it all out and reason my own power of reasoning is the way to figure out life and salvation. No, it's Jesus and him alone, and that's what John is saying. And if you wanna put your faith in Christ, I wanna pray with you right now. And as we prepare our hearts to remember that Jesus died for us on the cross and rose again, communion just represents the blood that was shed for us on the cross and the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross. We remember the sacrifice. As we prepare to take communion together, I just wanna ask for eyes closed and heads bowed. And I wanna pray with anyone who would wanna take that step of faith today in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, would you please raise your hand now? Just lift your hand high if that's you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. If your hand is raised, I, I just want you to pray with me right now. Because a, a few chapters later in John, it, it says, 
John writes, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not die, but have eternal life. So right now, for those of you with your hands raised, just pray these words from your heart. They have to be your words from your heart with me. Say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. Say to Jesus in your heart, I believe that you died the death that I deserved. And three days later, you rose from the dead so I can have eternal life. Even now, put your trust, your hope, your faith in him for life. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to connect with you. We have a gift for you. We have a Bible we'd love to give you. Please see one of our team members at one of the welcome tents on campus. And right now, for the rest of us, let's take communion together in the room. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.